You are listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. Awaken Church is a diverse community of authentic love and hope where you can belong as you change and change as you follow Jesus. James and Francis Briggs were a great friend of ours, and I was blessed to be with them on their 60th wedding anniversary. And I remember asking them, how did you make it? I mean, 60 years, right? 60 years, isn't that incredible? And, and, and uh, I know that, that James immediately, this guy had quick wit, and he said, uh, I learned early on two words. Those two words are yes, dear. <laughs> and we laughed, and, and, and they laughed, and Francis was laughing too. And she said, yes, but, but you got to understand that works both ways. That yes, dear is not just him saying that to me. It's me saying that to him, and it works both ways. And because marriage takes work. Marriage is a partnership. It's give and take. It's not always getting what you want, but it's, it's, a, it's a shared experience, and it's work, and it's worth it. It's worth the hard work. <laughs> and I love thinking of that, you know, Shelly and I celebrated 30 years of marriage this year in 2020. And, and, uh, I, I, I am just amazed, man, that, that was, I'm, you, you know, people hear 30 years and think, wow, that's a long time, but this was twice that much, <laughs> 60 years. Today, we're wrapping up our series, Sex, Love, and Devotion, where we're saying we want to be committed to building godly relationships. What does it take to have godly relationships? Well, over the six weeks, we've discussed sex, love, and devotion in the context of marriage, as well in the context of those who are not yet married. We've kind of gone kind of over all our relationships, especially when it comes to uh, sex and and love and devotion, (laughs) hence the title. But today, we're going to look at uh, how to have a great marriage. And if you're not married, don't tune out, because I wanted to experience this in the context of what it might someday be, okay? Because there's, I believe these are principles or tools you can put in your tool belt that you'll find helpful even if you're not married today how can you have a great marriage if you're married or not married let's 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 take part in this okay let's engage in this so we're in song of songs and we're in chapter eight of song of songs and uh, this will be our wrap-up today of uh, six weeks in the Song of Songs. Again, as a reminder, Song of Songs is not a theological discourse. It is a uh, it's ancient poetry. It's a play that was set to music. It's a musical. It's an ancient musical. And um, and in this musical, as with any play, there's different parts. There's a part of the young man. There's the part of the young woman. We've seen them uh, we, we've seen them go through courtship. We've seen them get married. We went with them on their honeymoon night, which was an interesting sermon. And we've seen them fight. We've seen them uh, get back together and uh, make up from the fight. And now we see them really kind of, a, kind of. this is kind of a reflection on how did we get here and, and where are we at and where are we going. And and, and uh, so there's there's that. And then there's a, and throughout the play, there's been a chorus of, of her BFFs that have spoken up, the young women of Jerusalem. And today for the first time, and last time, because this is the end of the end of the the, the song, we're going to see that her brothers are going to make an appearance, and they're going to have a part in the play as well. So I'll note who is speaking that part of the play as we go. So we're starting with the young woman in verse six of chapter eight. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy is enduring as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it. If a man tried to buy love with all his wealth, his offer would be utterly scorned. And her brothers join in and say, We have a little sister too young to have breasts. What will we do for our sister if someone asked to marry her? 
If she is a virgin, like a wall, we will protect her with a silver tower. But if she is promiscuous, like a swinging door, we will block her door with a cedar bar. And then she says, I was a virgin like a wall. Now my breasts are like towers. When my lover looks at me, he is delighted with what he sees. Solomon has a vineyard at Baal Hamon, which he leases out to tenant farmers. Each of them pays a thousand pieces of silver for harvesting its fruit. But my vineyard is mine to give. And Solomon need not pay a thousand pieces of silver. But I will give two hundred pieces to those who care for its vines. And then the young man says, Oh, my darling, lingering in the gardens, your companions are fortunate to hear your voice. Let me hear it too. And she says to, to, to end the song, Come away, my love. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountain of spices. So we have here, um, in order to grasp the meaning of what God's truth is for us in the covenant of marriage, we're going to study today kind of in depth what an ancient Jewish wedding was like. And uh, we're going to take from that, um, kind of look at our own lives, our own relationships and our own marriages. And, and along with this passage from Song of Songs chapter 8, and take a look at how we can have a great marriage. And here's our big idea. Godly relationships take effort and they're worth the hard work. Godly relationships, a healthy relationship takes effort and are worth the hard work. Um, now, if you say, well, I'm not really a Christian, and I'm not really trying to have a godly marriage. I just want to have a healthy marriage. I think you could take these principles and apply them as well. I think, but, but you're going to miss the key ingredient that I believe and I have found in my own marriage. That is the thing that makes it work is to have Jesus in the center of the thing to make Jesus the subject of that. But, but a healthy relationship takes effort and is worth the hard work. So let's, let's get that. Here's our first thing I want us to camp out on for a minute is this idea that great marriage takes preparation. If you're going to have a great marriage, a great marriage takes preparation. Now, if you go online to maybe YouTube or, or Vimeo or some of these other sites, you're going to find a plethora of proposals, wedding proposals. And you can Google or, or you can uh, do a search for like funny wedding proposal or, um, uh, you know, cute wedding proposal, the awesome wedding proposal, whatever. And you'll find a whole bunch of videos, right? Because they were planned out. They planned, not only did the, the, the guy, usually it's the guy who makes the proposal, just generally speaking, and but he's gotten, you know, somebody there with a phone or maybe two phones or cameras, a couple of different video angles, a, a picture, you know, somebody taking pictures. He's got it prepared of what's going to happen here. Even if the, even if the bride-to-be doesn't know she's going to be pr- proposed to, there's been a lot of preparation that goes into this moment of the proposal. Same thing with weddings. I mean, we have been videoing weddings forever and the weddings, weddings take a lot of preparation. Um, as someone who has officiated quite a number of weddings, I will tell you weddings take a lot of preparation, but today you'll see, you could go and look up videos as well for these uh, weddings with special themes and special dances that they do in the weddings. And so, so we know there's a lot of preparation that has gone in for this moment as well. So the moment of the proposal has taken a lot of preparation and the moment of the wedding has taken a lot of preparation but would you agree that many people prepare for the proposal? Maybe they prepare for the wedding, but they fail to prepare for the marriage. Many people are prepared for the moment, but not for the marriage. So in order for us to really get this, we're going to look at what, at what some of these words meant in the original language this was written in. This is originally written in, in Hebrew. And we think of the bride and groom. Let's start there. The Hebrew word for bride is the word kalah. And kalah means to, to complete or to make perfect. 
So the name, the word, the word bride, the, that title bride means the one to, who completes or makes perfect. It's like his, his word for her is you complete me. Now the Hebrew word as translated as groom is kothon and kothon means to be joined to the bride. It's where we get the, the, the idea of bridegroom. Today, we typically just say bride and groom, but the the word in Hebrew was literally bridegroom. Like the groom was not a separate entity. He's the one who is joined to the bride. The bride is the one who makes complete or brings makes it perfect for the groom. And so they, they come together. They enter this season called preparation. The season of preparation is called a betrothal. We know what a betrothal we know what it means. We, we understand to be betrothed, right? So this is a formal agreement, though, a little bit different than maybe what we think of when we think of a betrothal. A formal agreement, which lasted for the for a minimum of one year, like it had to be at least a year, the, the the betrothal period, and you could not break the betrothal except by divorce. It was that it was that important to to them as a culture that that if you were betrothed to be married, you could not break it off except by going through the process of an actual divorce. During the betrothal year, the groom would be prepared by his father who would teach him the Torah, which is, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, God's word, the law. And he would, his father would teach him as it applied to marriage. This was so that he would become a disciplined and prepared to be a spiritual leader in his own home. And during this time, the bride was prepared by her mother who taught her the things of God and how to be a godly wife. During the during the betrothal, her purity would be strictly guarded. It's her greatest gift to her future husband, her her virginity. And so, in verse eight, her brothers come in and they say, "We have a younger sister who has barely reached puberty. If she is a wall protecting herself sexually, we'll help protect her. If she's a door prone to swing open to the advances of sinful men, we will block the door with cedar." See, they said, "We'll do whatever it takes to guard her purity because this is the most important." vital gift that she has for her future husband and because of this season of preparation now the the bride says uh, talks about bringing her groom contentment in verse 10 she says he is delighted in me and that word delighted is more accurately kind of translated as contentment he has he has contentment in me he is contented by me. The, the the hebrew word here is this word shalom which you may be familiar with Shalom means health and prosperity, and it's most commonly known as peace, right? He is, you know, uh, he is delighted by me. He is content with me. He has peace with me. And it's interesting here that the name Solomon comes in, and this is the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, Solomon's Song of Songs. The name Solomon comes from the same root word as Shalom, and it liter- his name literally means my peace. The name Solomon literally means my peace. She is saying, I am bringing peace to the one who is my peace. And, be- and this is because there has been great preparation. So today, today, people date and do married things that they're not prepared to do. And when you have sex before marriage or outside of marriage, you're pretending to be married by doing what God created for marriage exclusively. And you get with someone, you break up. You get with someone, you break up. You get with someone, you break up. And you pretend to be married and you practice divorcing and you get good at it. And and you have spent zero time preparing your heart and your mind and your soul for marriage. So what happens when you get married and things get difficult? You're good at breaking up, so divorce comes easy. And, and, and a great marriage takes preparation. And a great marriage has a price. A great marriage will have a price. I think of things that, you know, something that's going to cost you something. Um, 
I, I, I love history, and in history, um, in fifteen nineteen, when Cortez brought his his ships and his men into Mexico to to uh, to 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 move into Mexico and to to be on a mission in Mexico, and and he had like six hundred men, and you know what he told his men? He said, "Burn the ships, <laughs> burn the ships. We are here for a mission. It's going to cost us something. It has a price to be on this mission, and we can. There's no going back. There's no going back." How willing are we to pay the price for a great marriage and say there's no going back? The groom would then go to the, the bride-to-be's father and he'd present this marriage contract. It's called a ketubah, and it's a, it's a covenant saying this is what I will do to love and honor and respect your daughter. And he would give the father what is known as the bride price. Now, the bride price, is, this is not kind of how we would think of, well, she's very beautiful, she's, she's worth two goats and a, and a lamb, or, or she's, she's looks like she's going to be amazing wife, she's worth a bull and a half, you know, or an ox or something like that. No, the bride price was a gift in appreciation for the parent's discipling and preparing their daughter to be a godly wife. But see, it did. It cost the groom to be something. A godly relationship will cost you something. Then he poured wine into a goblet and and placed it before the bride-to-be. Now, this is the formal proposal. This is after the year of preparation, after the betrothal, at least a year that they have been preparing for this. He then formally proposes by pouring the wine and placing it in front of her. And if she accepted the proposal, she would drink the wine. And all through the scriptures, wine, while it is literally the drink that they drank, it also had a representation as God's blessing. Blessed be God, the creator, the fruit of the vine. And the groom then would place a veil over the, the face of the bride-to-be. And we do that today, right, in our wedding ceremonies. Quite often, the bride will wear a veil. And, and most of us have just assumed that's part of the culture. We don't know where this came from. Well, here's where this culture was at with this. The veil, the, the veil placed over the bride-to-be's face was an, a, a formal part of the ceremony of the proposal. And it carried three specific meanings. The veil over her face meant uh, represented the bride's purity. Because if she was not a virgin, she couldn't wear the veil. I mean, she, they might could get married and, and work it out or whatever, but, but, but she couldn't wear the veil if she wasn't a virgin because it, it was very specifically showed she had kept herself pure for her husband. The veil also meant that the bride was off limits to any other man. She's spoken for. And generally speaking, this would be respected in the culture. Like if she's got the veil on, you don't approach her. You don't talk to her. You're not, you're not trying to get those digits. You know, you're not trying to come up on anything. She's, she's off limits because she has the veil. And the veil over the face of the bride-to-be meant that she was promised to be married. In other words, the, the, the price has been paid. She has been purchased with a price. And again, it was that gift of appreciation for preparing her for a godly marriage. See, a great marriage takes preparation. And a great marriage has a price. And a great marriage perseveres. One of the most important days for any couple is the wedding day. And probably the most important moment in the wedding ceremony is when we say these words, till death do us part. I believe that for the number of weddings that I have officiated, and I believe that very much so in my own marriage, my own relationship with Shelly. Till death do us part, the most important words that we've made there. Because when we say those words, we're making a promise. And for me, I look at it this way. It's the promise. I'm promising this. I'm saying, if you promise, would you promise to save the last dance for me? And I promise to save the last dance for you. 
till death do us part. Promise to save the last dance for me, and I promise to save the last dance for you. And things can change over time. Trust me, we were married in 1990. Here we are in 2020, and we are different people. I'm a different man than the young man that she married. She's uh, she's a different woman than the young the, the 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 young girl the girl that I married. You know, it was it, we have grown and we have changed and we have changed a lot. So what do you do when you change over time? All these things change over time. Um, you know how you look, how you feel, and all these all kinds of things, life circumstances, uh, finances. These can change over time. But what doesn't change over time, what must persevere, is those words, till death do us part. Because we've said, we've made a promise. I'm going to save the last dance for you. So what do we do when things change over time? We have to persevere. Look at what verse 6, she says, Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal upon your arm. In this, in this word in Hebrew that's translated as seal is the word kotham. And kotham refers to a signet ring. A signet ring has the authority of the one who wore it. It's, it's, it's has, it carries the name of another, like the authority of the name of another. And she's like, I want the authority of your name. Wrap me with your name of commitment. Uh, wrap me with your name of peace. Wrap it around my heart. And she says, For love is as strong as death. Save the last dance for me. She says, Love is like jealousy, as demanding as the grave. Till death do us part. She says, Many waters cannot quench this love. Come, be the fire inside of me. Come, be the flame upon my heart. This love is unrelenting. This, 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 this relationship will not be quenched. Till death do us part. It's permanent and we will persevere and to signify the betrothal or the, the the whole proposal was official that the whole thing was was good to go the two mothers would then take, go together they would take a plate and it would smash this plate on the ground <laughs> and, and it was kind of typically understood that this would be the groom's plate like he it's it's basically saying that there's no going back like you you're you know you you smashed the plate it's absolutely permanent you might you better persevere because you can't eat here anymore <laughs> and the groom would say this to the bride to be now i must go away and prepare a place for you now I must go away and prepare a place for you. And generally, he would be going back to his father's house, and he would build an additional room made of the finest materials. And his father would supervise this and, the, and not allow any corners to be cut because he wanted only the best for his son and his future daughter-in-law and his future grandkids, of the future blessing of his family. He wanted only the best. And when they would ask the groom-to-be when the ceremony is going to take place, his reply would be, Only my father knows. And only my father knows, and the only and only the father knows is because the father is the one who will say the room is ready. You can have the wedding now, because the father is the one who makes the call. And this room is called hupa, and it means hupa means covering, and it refers to the groom's talit, which is a prayer shawl that covers that that covers his his shoulders and and his body, and would would in times of prayer he would cover over his head. And, and and it means it's actually they would take his prayer shawl and use it as a canopy during the wedding ceremony. They would take four poles and they would stretch the 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 talit, the prayer shawl above it, and this because this was called hupa. And they would be married under the hupa. And when the father said the room was ready, the groom would gather his buddies. He'd go to the bride-to-be's house, and he would blow the shofar. Now, the shofar is this trumpet. It's made of a ram's horn. And, and if you've ever heard a shofar, you can hear it. 
You can hear it for miles. It means the time is now. The time is now. The preparations are complete. And then, after the year of betrothal, after, after all of the, the ceremony of the, of the proposal, after all the time it took to build the, the room, the room in his father's house. Then the time is now. They blow the chauffeur and they fast for a week. <laughs> it's the time is now. We are ready. And so what they did, they took a week-long fast. The bride and groom, they would not eat. They would not see each other at all so they could prepare themselves for what would take place. They wanted to come hungry to the feast. They wanted to be hungry for the, the food that they would partake of with all of the, the folks who would come for the feast. And they wanted to be hungry for one another. And after this week-long fast, it would be time for the celebration of the marriage covenant. And this covenant is called Berith. And Berith means, uh, it refers to a binding agreement, but it literally means cutting. And I think it's, uh, for me, I find it amusing, maybe even ironic, that a word that means cutting refers to a binding agreement. But when the two, here's why, here's where the word comes from. Two people would enter into a covenant. And animals such as a bull or an ox, a lamb, would be cut in half. And there would be two altars, and the, and the, the, two, uh, the two people would then walk through the middle of the slaughtered bull or the slaughtered animal, establishing their covenant. They walked through the cutting. The idea is this is an agreement that's sealed in blood. Therefore, it's permanent, and we will persevere to make it work. And if I break this covenant, may what happened to this bull also happen to me. And in the wedding ceremony, then, the, the priest or whoever's officiating it would make a slight cut in the palm of the hands of the bride and the groom, and he would bind them together with a cord. And he would symbolize this as the covenant of marriage is sealed with the shedding of blood, and the two becomes one. And now what God has joined together, what God has bound together, let no one tear apart till death do us part. And then they would move the hoopah. To the room built by the groom, the bridal chamber, the love shack, baby. And they would consummate the marriage while everybody else waited outside. <laughs> because they're waiting for the feast to begin now. And then, when they consummate the marriage, that's when the covenant has been made complete. That's when they are official. That's when you are married. You consummate the marriage. You do what married people do. And the covenant has been made complete. It's a holy moment. And it's a righteous act that represents the covenant of God. And she says in verse 7, many waters cannot quench this love because we're going to persevere and this is permanent the covenant of marriage between is between the bride and groom and it's between the couple and god then to symbolize that the covenant that they're making they symbolize it by exchanging rings and we do this right we exchange rings in the ceremony and and usually what i do when i officiate a wedding is something that that i picked up from many other uh pastors and ministers is i'll hold the ring up and have have this bit that i will say about the ring the ring is a circle no beginning and no end it represents not only represents love it represents god's love and it represents this couple's love for one another no end no beginning it's permanent it doesn't stop it doesn't take a break it goes on continually and this was the symbol of the covenant being established in this wedding and here's the thing every time god establishes covenant he gives a symbol every time god establishes covenant he gives a symbol two examples of this we find one in our old testament when we find the 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 hebrew people the people of israel and their exodus he gave them a symbol that's called the passover meal 
and they partook of this Passover meal for generations, for years. Actually, still do today. <coughs> and 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 even Christians who follow who who follow uh, Christ as the Messiah may partake in a uh, what's called a, a a Christian seder, which is the Passover meal, and it's a symbol of that covenant. But here's the thing, what Jesus did, if we go to our New Testament and we look at the Gospels and the story of Jesus, he takes that same symbol and the uh, symbol of that covenant, but he flips that. He says, I'm giving you a new symbol for a new covenant. This is where he takes that, that moment where the bread is broken and eaten and the, and the wine is drunk that we call the Lord's Supper, that we call the Eucharist. When God establishes a covenant, he gives a symbol. And he says, after the new covenant, we need a new symbol. And here it is. And look what this means for us. Not just for our have godly relationships and to have a great marriage, but we want to have a relationship with our God that is the uh, the most intimate and, 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 uh, and life-giving relationship that we have. So it means that we look at the scriptures in a new light. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. This is wedding language. It's marriage language. You were bought at a price. So honor God with your body body. Jesus says this in John 14, 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you will be with me where I am. Jesus is inviting you, and he's inviting me into this marriage. In Matthew 24, 31, a passage that's Taken quite a bit out of context because it is wedding language, and Jesus is talking of the, the wedding between himself and us, a great spiritual wedding. And he says, He will send forth his angels with a mighty trumpet blasts. The mighty trumpet will blast, saying, The time is now, and they will gather together his chosen from the furthest ends of heaven and earth. The time is now. In Revelation 19 7. It says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It may be weird for some of us who are guys, who are dudes, to think of ourselves as, as the bride of Christ. But here it is, is this relationship. And so we want to have great marriages. We want to have healthy relationships. We want to have godly relationships. But it starts here when we realize we are the bride of Christ and we enter into that by our choice. So I would say, you know, we want to have a uh, a next step. We always want to know what are our next steps. I would encourage you that if you are not following Christ, if you have not accepted the proposal of Jesus to be his, then in this very moment, just right now, accept that proposal. Just in, in your own prayer, in your own words, yes, Jesus, I want to be yours. I want to follow you. And I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower of Christ in this moment. I want to have this love. Pray that prayer and, and accept that proposal. Accept that invitation that Jesus gives you. 
Now, for all of us, I want to do this because I'm doing this myself. I want to dedicate dedicate yourself to having a godly marriage. Whether you're married or not married, maybe you're not even dating, maybe it's not even on your radar, doesn't matter. Dedicate yourself to having a godly marriage because it'll change not just not just for someday, it'll it'll begin to have transformation in your life today and now. Dedicate yourself to having a godly marriage. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this time together. Thank you that you have extended this proposal to us, Lord, that we can come to you and just say yes to your proposal, yes to your invitation, and we will be the children of God. We will be the bride of Christ. And, Lord, thank you for what that means to us, what that means for us, that, Lord, you see us as beautiful. You see us as yours. You see us as your own. And, Lord, we we, we want to embrace that. And, Lord, we not only embrace that, we want to live in the reality of that, which means we will grow in a way of dedicating ourselves to being being uh, people who have godly relationships. And in this context today, Lord, I dedicate myself afresh and anew to having a godly marriage. We dedicate ourselves to having godly marriages. And we say yes as you lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. It's our hope that you have been encouraged by today's message. Find out more about Awaken Church at awakenla.church or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Awaken Church LA.